0: It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Powered by the Ingram Agency. You're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on Filling the Radio. I'm Kyle. With me, as always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. So, first things first, how was your weekend, boys?
2: Not too bad. It was uh, quite busy for myself. I, I think since coming back from our trip, it has just been a blur. It's been all work and, and no fun and no play, and the Preds have lost a couple games, and it's just been uh, back to the grind, I guess, and I'm, I'm ready to talk some hockey tonight, and I'm, I'm also ready for the playoffs
1: coming up. I was thinking about that today. We're, we're actually getting close now. We are, and you know, we're sitting pretty on second place over the season, but you know, there's a couple times I'm like, man, if we don't shape up, and as we will talk later on with our special guest, Chris Martel, who knows what the Preds are going to end up later on because, man, right now they're having some scoring difficulties. Yeah, it's
2: been, it's been quite interesting, but uh We'll get into some juicy trade talk later, but uh, Matt, how was your weekend?
3: Uh Kind of like you, back to the grindstone. I, when we got back, I got sick. I got strep throat, strep. Then the next weekend, the wife was sick. It's been kind of a, yeah, let's wake me up uh, in a couple of weeks kind of thing. So,
1: Well, I seem to be like the only person who didn't really have a pressing week. I mean, I started my first week on call last weekend. I purposely – moved everything around last week so I could do my first week on call and not have any issues. And it went great. I got called one time five minutes into my shift.
3: <laughs> yeah, welcome to that call life, big boy.
1: I've done it before, so it's nothing new for me, but this is the actual first time I've had an on call. Where Kyle, it was like yeah, super quiet.
2: Kyle used to be called at like two AM and one like it was it was ridiculous. Like twenty four hour on call. It was
1: yeah, there was a trip one time. Daniel and I were uh, up oh in uh, my gosh. Sevierville. Yes. He's playing drums. I'm up there to help with the audio stuff, and we're in this hotel room. It's like 3 in the morning. Yeah, 3 in the morning, and my phone goes off, and I purposely told them I am on vacation, and they forgot to take me off the call rotation. <laughs> I was upset, too, for him and myself because we lost sleep that night. But Because once I got on the phone, I was like, guys, I'm not near a computer. I was like, my computer's not even with me. And they're like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're on vacation, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, imagine that.
2: You know, um, Kyle, I'm a, I'm a little hungry tonight. <laughs> Matt's shaking his head already. I really it's, got a hankering for some baked goods. Where can I get me
3: some, Matt? I've always got a hankering for baked goods. I baby. know you do,
2: but where <laughs> can we get some
3: at? Specifically, we're talking about Artemi Panarin, the, the bread, bread man, man,
2: baby, from the Columbus Blue Jackets. So apparently I'm going to dra- have to drive to Columbus to get me some bread. But that and is the number one juicy trade talk around the Preds, Facebook, and Twitter area right now. Let's talk a little bit about it, Kyle.
1: You're in my pun, Chance, but the first thing I was going to say was it's probably some sourdough bread we're going to get. Oh, because about- yeah, Because Panarin has been anything but cordial about this entire thing. I mean, the first thing you know you hear about him is that he is bent on testing free agency. He wants to do it. And I know Pred's Twitter is all about trying to get that one piece that will push them over the edge. There are people that want Panarin. But it's like, do you really want somebody who is going to basically like, you know what? That's cool, Nashville. I'll come to you guys for about three months, and then I'm going to go on the market. If you look at his stats... I
2: mean, he's got 21 goals this year. He's obviously a pro- prolific goal scorer. He could help out on our power play, which has been the worst. <laughs> I mean, we are we cannot get any worse than we are now. I mean, I mean we're are, in the We league, are so, rock bottom. So we've hit the bottom. Nowhere to go but, you know, up from here. But, like I said, 21 goals, proven power play score. Yeah, I want him, But – The problem is when when I saw this tweet and his statements the other day to the media and and all this about him, I mean, he's basically bent on testing free agency. And honestly, for what we would have to give up, you know, potential player with a first-rounder, maybe another prospect as well, just for a rental who is obviously going to test free agency. I mean, like, I'm not an expert, but his verbiage – Says he's not signing a long term contract, no matter what Poyle would throw at him. Like, he might be able to throw, oh, okay, we'll do a five by, you know, eight million. That's probably pretty expensive. But he's wanting to test free agency. And when he says that, I'm out. I'm out. I would rather go try to sign a long term player like a Duchesne, like a Stone, who has 25 goals on the year two. I think one of the problems is Stone's going to be pretty pricey, you know. After this year, I, I, I don't know. It, it it's it's interesting because we also have, you know, the pressures on the second line too, to perform. So I mean, there's there's a lot on the table right here. But for me, after he says these comments, I, mean, I think I'm out.
1: Well, the one comment that got me is when he talked about Yarmo trading him, citing his own path to Columbus in January 17 when he got traded from the Blackhawks. He said, "I understand his business because the Blackhawks general manager Stan Bowen, didn't ask me. Well, of course he's not going to ask you. This is a business. Just because you're a star player does not protect you from being traded unless you're a Patrick Kane, for example, from the Chicago Blackhawks because they got so much money tied up in him. But Panarin got traded to the Blue Jackets and I think he's literally just salty about the whole thing. I mean, he fired his agent Dan Milstein and hired Bob's agent Paul Theophanes. So, obviously, he feels like Bob's agent might be able to help him get a be- get a better deal. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see his
2: interactions right now with media. But I, I think for me, it all goes back to his whole attitude about not wanting to sign long, long-term. I mean, it, it's a little comical to me because if you see a player like this and his comments, it it seems that he is more emphasizing the money, the contract deal, than rather going out and winning a cup. Like... I, I don't know about you, but if I see the, these comments and I'm a potential team with him coming in, I don't think this guy's coming in here to help us win a cup for a cup run. Like He is looking forward to basically the offseason to where he gets paid higher.
3: Yeah, I think he's kind of being a bit of a diva right now. I mean, he knows he's hot. He wants to get paid. He's kind of sending me to the highest bidder, and that's fine. I mean, we're here. He's in a, a career to make money, so that's okay. But – it slightly a little off-putting currently you know it doesn't really make a team really long after having you like the Predators we kind of mentioned if it's a short-term thing why would we risk a whole lot just to get you for for basically as a rental it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense so
1: and at the end of the day of course you know we'll talk about this with Chris later when we ask his opinion on this I don't think Poil will do it
3: no I agree I think it is a bit of a risk it calculated risk, but it's a risk I don't think I would take because of the short-term side of it. And, we, you know, it's, we, we're going to talk about, I'm sure we're going to mention getting in the playoff run. If you're going to have to face a Winnipeg, we're going to have to add another score. But I think, like Daniel mentioned, I think I'd rather see a Mark Stone or somebody particularly a winger. It's, Duchesne's fine, but I think I'd rather see a winger. And probably not Panarin, if, if you ask my opinion.
1: The one thing I did take away from this as a whole, and we I talked about this on Twitter earlier with some of our followers, I asked them, you know, would they do it? And I can't remember exactly who I responded to, but I said, if you play it 100% safe the entire time, you will 100% always be an average team. You never go big.
2: It feels like we've never gone big. Poil is always more a conservative, passive GM. But at the same time...
3: You also don't get burned because I you know, play conservatively. And
2: this is kind of the Predators' ascent to being relevant in the league and actually like a decent team has slowly risen, slowly risen, slowly risen over the course of the last several years. That said, it's because we haven't really taken very many risks. We have a decently young team, a lot of 25, 26-year-old players that are in their prime. All the defensemen signed, also under 30, by the way. So if if you think about it, this has been his recipe to get us here and to get us where we are right now. Do I admit that we still need a top six prolific score? Yes, but am I willing to give up for someone like Panarin at this cost for him to walk away in free agency in the summer? No. I would rather sideline it or try to get a Duchesne or a Stone. We also have in eventually, but, I mean, some people are like, heck, let's throw Tolvanen in the mix too and, and get rid of him. I, I think he has tremendous upside too. He's, he's 19, by the way. I, I just want to. Throw that out there. He's 19 years old. He was born in like '99. I was just entering high school. Yeah, I think it was '99 or 2000. He was born. I'll I just I'll put it like that.
1: He could be the future for the
2: Preds as well. But once again, it's a complete unknown. He's been playing in the KHL. He doesn't have all the NHL experience that we would like, which kind of gets me to like why are we not playing him a little bit anymore but you know whatever we've been maxing out the roster that said I can't see Poyle doing the Panarin deal just because of the recent yeah. comments
3: it doesn't and it doesn't seem like a good fit it doesn't seem like a deal that Poyle would do based on his you know we've looked in the in the past of what he's made the trades the acquisitions he's done that seems a little out of his comfort zone and as a guy who's successful at what he does I would envision he would prefer to stick to his method and because that seems to work for him
2: I mean you think about all the moves that he's done he he loves taking into account the locker room and the cohesiveness that we've built and honestly our team's very tight as a unit so why would you go risk getting a guy who as we said might just be in it for the money and might be leaving in three months to be honest I'm going after a Duchesne who wants to play here who is come out and physically said, oh, I would love to play in Nashville eventually at some point in his career. So, I I, I don't know. It's just, for me, the risk is way worth, or the risk is not worth the reward on Panarin, but it would be more than likely on like a Duchesne or a Matt Stone. I know some people have thrown out Wayne Simmons and Zuccarello. I don't think either of those two are actually good matches either. But I honestly think David Poyle is going to have to pull the trigger this year, and he might not be able to sleep at night, but I think it is going to be an interesting finish to the trade deadline, and and everyone just get ready because it's going to be crazy come the end of February.
3: You know who else pulled the trigger? The Anaheim Ducks went ahead and pulled the trigger on Coach Randy (laughs) Carlisle, baby.
2: They went duck hunting. (laughs) You know, how did this not happen – Sooner. sooner, yeah. I, I mean, to be honest,
3: out of all the coaching uh, switches we've seen this year, this one we have seen coming, you know, and it finally, it finally fell. I would have fired him during the Jets game
2: the other night. I, I mean, what was the score in the first? It was. I, I I tuned in the first time we pulled open, and I remember we were sitting on the couch watching the Preds game, and we flipped over in the app, and it was six to zero already in the first.
1: <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. Yeah, I think the think the Jets ended up beating them like 9-4 or 9-2 yeah, or something almost like that. hung a
2: touchdown on them yeah. with a field goal. I wanted to see 10 points. That's something you don't see a whole lot in hockey. I wanted to see a 10 hung on somebody. Of course, you have like a prolific offense and then a defense that has just been a dumpster fire in the last 21 games.
1: Well, it's funny you talk about that. So uh, Jillian Fisher had a video at the start of the season where it talked about, you know, how all the teams are going to do uh, raise banners for this season, and the Ducks was eerily like almost prophetic because the Ducks banner said most likely to collapse this season. And you got to think about this team two years ago was in the Stanley Cup uh, Western Conference Finals against the no Predators,
2: other than the Predators.
1: And two years later, they're do they're basically having the same trouble Ottawa did, crashing and burn. Like you said. You know, if you look back in December, this team had 19 wins out of 35 games. They were not in the league. And first in the Pacific, they're riding high. And then, like, December 18th hits, <laughs> and the, like, I don't know if their feathers got clipped to make a bad pun. I don't know. But they've now gone 2-15-4, and four, and they've been outscored by a total of 37-8. to eight. They are now dead last in the Pacific, the Western Conference, and they're in the basement at 28.
2: Yeah. It's, their goal differential is minus 55 right now. <laughs> minus 55. It has it, it gone from okay to to a dumpster fire real quick in, uh, in Anaheim. And it's crazy because there's not really like... And, and the funny part was, in the early part of the season, they were very injured and they were still riding yeah. high. That was the thing that blew my mind because we follow several accounts online for the Ducks. So we actually have a little bit of knowledge of this. And and you're talking Perry was out. I know at one point like Kessler was out uh, probably a month or so ago. And then, man, just phew, the wheels have fallen off. There's no chemistry. There's no defense. Absolutely no defense. And what's crazy is how did he not get fired before this streak? Because honestly, if he gets fired maybe in the middle of this, they might be able to salvage a little bit of the season. Maybe make a playoff push. At this point, I do not see it happen because Bob Murray himself is now going to coach the team. He's the GM. He's the GM. I want to. And
3: yeah. I'll have to say I have seen him on the ice doing drills with the players uh, this morning or whenever it was. Yeah, he he's 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 a
2: little intense. But guess what? He he even said in a quote like he felt bad for putting another person basically in this position, so he he has to do it himself. He knows that if he puts someone in there right now, they're going to fail, and I'm going to have to get rid of them because, the, you know, the crowd and the, yeah. the, the arena, the <laughs> Roman Coliseum is going to give him a thumbs down, and he's going to be out at the end of the year.
1: It's so bad he didn't even pull up their minor league affiliate coach like the Blackhawks did. They're like, no. They're like, the San Diego goals are fine. Keep them where they're at. They're doing decent. Leave them. It's weird, though, seeing Murray, like you say, he's never coached a game. But he's played over 1,000 games for the Blackhawks, so he, you know, he's got experience, so you think he might be a decent head coach for the remainder of the season.
3: It's going to be interesting. You don't see uh, many GMs take a seat off the high horse and come down and get their hands dirty with the players. So I'm kind of excited, actually. It's pretty interesting. I mean, you can't get any worse than what they are now, so let's give it a shot. He
2: also was a defenseman. So hey. if anything, hopefully that defensive mindset <laughs> <laughs> like spills over into the team because, I mean, it's pretty bad right now. And he, he goes on to quote, or to quote him, and he said, What bothered me the most was the lack of emotion, the lack of pushback. This team has been a pride team, and that went away. Nothing works if you lack hard work and emotion, and it wasn't there. I, I, I don't know how else you can say that. I mean, that, that sums it up. There, there has been no pushback from this team. He goes on to say, it's my job, looking forward to figuring out what the issues are, which there's a lot, by the way. One of the biggest things I have to determine is if we have the people who can lead. I haven't given up on them, but I'm worried. <laughs> I did like I did find that quote a little comical. <laughs> I haven't given up on them, but I'm genuinely worried about the
1: leadership. Well, you know who he should first go check up on? John Gibson. Gibson has like been like that team's savior the first half of the season, and they rode him until the point that he's like, he can't stop anything now. Ducks ownership also sent a letter to
2: STH and the partners about the coaching changes, citing, and I quote, "surprisingly difficult season."
1: <laughs> How are you just now saying it's a difficult season? You've seen since December. This has been a difficult season.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I honestly feel bad for Ducks fans because it has been a, it has been a free fall. I. It is very interesting to see a GM take over the position. I'll leave it at that, and let's see what happens the rest of the year. But you know what is absolutely crazy is despite all the bad stuff happening during this time, there was a little bit of silver lining. And what was that, Matt?
3: Yes, there is a little bit of silver lining for Ducks fans. There is a couple that recently went on their honeymoon, and the Ducks are taking a trip to Canada right now. They're away, so these honeymoon couple went to Winnipeg and Toronto and in Montreal and Ottawa as part of their honeymoon to watch the Ducks play. And unfortunately, the ducks lost the, all those games. But actually, thanks to a resort owner who happens to be a Senators fan, had a little bit of mercy on this couple and decided oh. that this resort will they will pay for their honeymoon at another place to say <laughs> I don't know uh, just a thank you Cons- yeah, I, consolation. Yeah, I consolation.
1: Like, it's a nice hotel though. Yeah, very it's an expensive.
2: Kaikos or as kaikos as, <laughs> as kyle was saying in the off uh, off show here but i mean hey you four free nights in the caribbean i'm gonna take it but it yeah. was kind of like a little hilarious that it did come from a senator's fan because it's kind of like rubbing it in because i mean let's face it senators are terrible too i mean it's Ottawa rising hashtag
3: yeah. You know, I mean, got to so. have a little fun. That was his one, his one way to get a dig at uh, somebody else. So yeah. I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, they're all hockey fans. Yeah, and that's what made it kind of nice. Nice, <laughs> it, it was a nice gesture after getting completely rained on for four games. You know, during your, I, I mean, Canada's beautiful though. So yeah. I know. Get to see Canada, and then on top of it. Now we get to go to the Caribbean. So if the Ducks weren't so terrible, they might not have gotten that. So they're a little thankful that the Ducks are terrible right now. And it's going to be a honeymoon they're going to always remember, good or bad. Oh, for real. I mean, this has been all over Twitter. So kudos to them. Kudos to great people and nice people because they still exist in the world.
1: And uh, it was just a happy story overall. You're talking about happy stories. Did you know that we had another All-Star game come to town last week?
2: We sure did, Kyle, and I actually think it set a couple
1: of records. It did. So, as I always say, when we have news that you may or may not know about if you've been under a rock, the NWHL All-Star Game came to Bridgestone Arena. It was held on February 10th, and then the skills competition was held on February 9th at the Ford Ice Center. All the women from the Boston Pride, Buffalo Buttes, Connecticut Whale, Metropolitan Riveters, and the Minnesota Wildcaps came down for their All-Star Game. And like you said, Daniel, it did break some records. You know, they had over half a million people watch the skills competition online, and after the Blues game on Sunday, they had 6,120 people in attendance for that game, and from what I understood, it was a great game.
2: I mean, 6,000 people, that's pretty respectable show, because if you're on a smaller ice rink,
1: that's more than max
2: capacity, so obviously having it at Bridgestone did have its, you know, pluses, and it was right after a game, so some people just stayed in their seats and were able to attend this great event, but... From what I could tell, ladies put on a show. Everyone enjoyed it, and it basically was the best event to date for their league.
1: Oh, they loved it. I know Chris Mason and Hal Gill ended up coaching them. Team Zabados and uh, Team Stickland. Um, Zabados won 3-2 in a shootout, and their MVP was Team she Namesake, like Shannon Zabados. Gold,
2: gold medalist for the Canadians.
1: You know, she's the goalie for the Buffalo Buttes, and you know, Kendall Cohen Schofield. You know, she was in the uh, NHL's fastest skater. Well, we all knew she was fast, and she did win the fastest skater for the yep. for the women. Thirteen point nine seconds.
2: That is extremely fast. Still faster than some of the guys, I think. It's faster than me. <laughs> yeah, Kyle. It's faster than Matt too. Matt's Matt's likely to get out there with like the little, you know, the, like little push <laughs> oh, thing. Brutal, you know damn.
1: <laughs> <by>? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> you know, we're gonna take Matt to one of those preds. Learn the skate events. Just throw them out there yeah. on it. Ford Ice Center has plenty of events coming up, so we'll have see all, what we can do. Have all those little kids skating around you. Now look at the old man trying to skate.
2: You, hold on, though. We were snowboarding in Switzerland, and there were some kids that were like four, and they were carving up the slopes better Bro. than – like, it was nuts. There was, a guy, there
3: was a ski instructor in particular who came flying down the slopes with one ski. And then <laughs> – He told all his little four-year-olds, about a class of 20, to take off one of their skates. So they all skated down the mountain with one ski on. He
2: literally was the Mr. Miyagi of the slopes. He was just like (laughs) (laughs) – we were literally just shocked. Like, we weren't snowboarding for for probably five minutes just because we were watching them. It was impressive.
3: But anyway, back on track, you mentioned that we set a record for how many people were in attendance for this women's event, and I think it goes to show – What we talked about, I think it was the last episode, of how the women's hockey is coming to the forefront of the sport now. This is becoming a more popular, more mainstream thing, and this shows you where the state of women's hockey is. They have skills, they can compete on a big national level, and they're finally getting some of the money and some of the respect that they deserve.
2: I mean, let's flash back to the Olympics here. We had arguably one of the most enjoyable games I've ever witnessed in my entire life, which was the gold medal match, Canada USA in overtime and then it goes to a shootout and I was watching that till like I was like ungodly late I think it was 1 in the morning with that finisher I, to be honest you got to think that has to do with some of this surge because that was the two uh, you know obviously the two biggest powerhouses in women's hockey and the biggest markets for women's hockey facing off right there and it was just the best. I mean, you couldn't script
3: it any better than that. And that shootout, the winning goal was beastly.
2: It, yeah, it blew my mind. There's, there's men that can't do that shot.
3: That's the stuff right there that does the sport good right there. That's a good watchability factor right there. That was awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, and if you're looking at some of these other stats, hardest shot, Blake Bowden, 80 miles an hour. That's... <laughs> That's pretty fast. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I don't think I could hit it 80 miles an hour. I'm not a trained professional at this. Especially got
1: those composite sticks, and they got that strength rating on those sticks. I mean, that's
2: insane. Fastest goalie, 12 seconds. Trick shot was Zabados wins from the fan vote. Team Zabados, rather. So, it it is very interesting to see the progression of the sport. It was very interesting to see that 6,000 people attended as well.
3: Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Um and even the half million people watching the skills competition.
2: Yeah, I, I honestly think if anything, this propels that a little bit further, and then maybe potentially
1: down the road, they look at putting something here in Nashville. Because oh, I think I think they absolutely are going to look at it because the response they got. You know, uh, Jillian Fisher's been on the show before. Uh, she was down there, and her entire Twitter feed for this uh, week was all about meeting the female fans of the hockey, and a couple of the guys were there too. And she loved just how great Nashville put on this event.
2: I mean, Nashville's known for that. We're a production town. So when it comes to big events, we do it right. I, I mean, we do. We have the best production managers in the world here in Nashville. So it is great to see that we were able to host an event of this magnitude, and it was a smashing success because, you know, no pun intended. Look, Kyle, stop. We're full of puns tonight, okay? Smashing success. But that said... It is going to only reflect our chances to potentially get a team here in the future. And it looks like we could possibly support it with the numbers that have come out.
1: And I will say that, um, you know, Shannon Zabados, she, uh, when she was talking to the media post game, she told everybody, and it kind of surprised them. Jeremy Gover said that they were surprised when she said, thanks for the support this weekend, guys. We really appreciate it. He said it was the first time in his nine years doing it that a hockey player had said, thank you for the support.
3: Wow. That speaks volumes.
1: Yeah, that's a little shocking. He said, yeah. He said it's just rare that an athlete involved gets it as much as she does. And it's true. I mean, you look, these these women that are playing, they know that while this game today was about them, they're already looking ahead to the future of all the upcoming girls. Like, I guarantee you in the future, there will be girls from Nashville that will be in the NWHL because of events like this. Oh, you know? yeah.
2: I mean, <laughs> I'm a Preds fan because I went to a game during the first inaugural season at the age of five. Like, I mean, and that's it has to start somewhere for some people, but some it is at a younger age, and it just solidifies it. Like, for me, it was boom. I'm a Preds fan because I'm five, and, like, I grew up with it going to the games. So that same effect will hit on some younger young ladies out there, and it'll be interesting to see the – the future ramifications and effects of a game like this for the local community. We also have several new ice rinks going up too. So that'll be interesting to see the progression of that in the Middle Tennessee area because we're a non-traditional hockey market.
1: And speaking of non-traditional market, let's get into our Preds talk. So joining us by phone for some Preds hockey talk is Chris Martell. He is a social media for Preds on Fox Sports Tennessee, and he's the host of the Neutral Zone on 104.5 The Zone. Chris, how are you doing? I'm Joe and I'm doing just fine. How are y'all doing? Yeah, doing pretty good. Uh, you know, got some dinner in us and you're ready to get some hockey going.
4: Excellent. Excellent.
1: As we talked about earlier on the show, we're, you know, the trades that are coming up, you know, the trade deadline, David Poyle made some trades for the Preds. He gave up a second rounder for Brian Boyle to help out in the power play. And then we see that he gives up a seventh rounder for Cody McLeod. Macker, he returns. Yes, you know, that great locker room presence everybody loves. The intangibles. So the big question, though, Chris, is being somebody who covers the team on a nightly basis, do you think Poyle is done making trades?
4: Uh, You know, to be honest, guys, I don't think think he's done making trades, nor do I think he should be done making trades. Um, I think David Poyle needs to – well, I mean, I I could sit here and say, you know, I think David Poyle needs to really examine the market and bring the top six forward, but we all know he's going to do his due diligence. Uh, he's going to kick the tires the best he can, and if he finds a piece that's going to work well with with what Nashville has, he'll make it happen. Uh, that being said, I, I really think that uh, that Nashville needs to get a top six forward, a legitimate top six forward scoring threat, uh, to to really find themselves as a Stanley Cup contender this year. I think if they go in. Uh, if they go in here two weeks it, with no more trades, and this is what they're going with, this is their roster that uh, I'm not real confident that they can execute uh, more than more than two rounds into the playoffs. So um, you know, I think they're that one piece shy of of being uh, really set here, and hopefully uh, hopefully David Poile will pull the trigger and get someone get someone in to to really shore up a, a little bit of offense for the team.
2: I know a lot of people have been talking about Panarin. But as of this week, there's been a lot of reports that have come out with him. And basically, this whole notion that he does not want to sign with a team, he wants to test free agency. Like, he, I think he's bent on it now. I'm not a psychologist, but uh, it, it seems like that if we were to go get him, we're going to have to give up a great, you know, amount of assets only to be a rental just to lose him to potential suitors in the offseason. How do you feel about that situation?
4: Yeah, well, here's how you really look at that. And and I think he would definitely be a rental. I absolutely do think he would be a rental. But I think what he provides in terms of his offensive capabilities, and and not just not just that, but the fact that he's having himself an absolutely amazing season. If you if you look at his um, if you look at his actual numbers versus his expected numbers, I mean he's he, he looks a lot like Nick Benino out there, but he's actually recording more points than anybody would ever think that would be possible for Mark Tate That being said, I think that he would be a solid, solid addition to the top six, even if it is for a rental. The price being most likely a first-round pick, a prospect, and it wasn't surprising an active roster, active roster player as well. Is that too much? I don't think it's too much to ask for when you're talking about a player of Artemi Panarin's skill set. But with you only receiving maybe three to four months of his service, it's a lot. It's a high bill to pay for. Um, I would say 99% of he's going to free agency. I don't think there's any question in my mind that he'll go to free agency because he knows uh, if he touches the open market, he could get, uh, he could see himself with a pretty solid payday. I don't know if David Polo does that, but at the same time, if you know that you push your chips in here and you execute this particular trade and it gets you to a conference
1: final, cup final, do you take it? I think you do. Well, you're talking about giving up a roster player. Who's the player on the Preds roster that you would give up? Because I know a lot of people, if you ask them, their first word is going to be Fiala.
4: That would be my concern with that it would be Fiala. Um, and I think I think it's fair to say that Fiala would be the, the, be, be the player that would probably be um, probably be asked about the most because of um, his age. I mean, Kevin Fiala is 22 years old. He's a restricted free agent. He's making less than $900,000 right now. Uh, of course, you know, he's going to get paid, uh, but it's just such a uh, such an appealing offer to get someone like Kevin Fiala on a team. At the same time, it's if, if not something that I know David Poyle would want to give up. If you were to look at someone who would potentially have the ability to be tradable, um, I would suggest maybe a name like Craig Smith or, to an extent, Kyle Turris. And the reason I say that is uh, both of them have, are locked into at least uh, a contract for the next couple of seasons or more. Terrace is locked into 2023, 2024. Um, Craig Smith, I mean, this is a guy who's 29 years old. I mean, Terrace is 29 as well, but Craig Smith is a perennial uh, 2020 guy usually. Um, and this season alone, he's got 16 goals and 12 assists. Uh, last season he had 51. Um, a 20-goal scorer, and two seasons before that and a season before that, he was 20-goal scorers. The only time he hasn't been a 20-goal scorer for Nashville was 2016, 2017 when he ended up under 30 points. So I think that's a guy who you could put a, you could sell as a solid active roster addition um, in a trade like that. Even though he's 29, this is a guy who consistently puts up points. And especially if you want to keep eyes off of Fiala, I would I would push especially if a team wants to have an active roster player, I would push more of a Craig Smith than a Kevin Fiala.
2: You're also talking about dumping that salary as well to trade it out for potentially maybe signing one of the players. Like, I mean, we have names thrown out there like Stone and Duchesne as well, who also have 25 goals this year, both having incredible seasons and are going to be unrestricted free agents. And, you know, Duchesne's also talked before that he kind of wants to play in Nashville too. So, Would it be more apt, you know, or more of Poyle's route to go after a guy like that who he can sign long term, and then potentially throw in a player to kind of even out?
4: You know, I I don't know. um, If you were to ask me, if you were to, if the Preds could go for one of Matt Duchesne or one uh, or Matt Duchesne or Mark Stone, who would I pick? I think the answer for me would always be Mark Stone. I mean, it would be, it'd be yes on Mark Stone every day and twice on Sunday. And the reason I say that is, you know, Mark Stone is going to be a very, 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 very expensive player come free agency, come July. I mean, this is a guy who right now he has 25 goals and 31 assists in 55 games, point-per-game player. He had 62 points last year and was a point-per-game player. And he's he's been – He's been in the 60point range every year except for 2016 2017. I, this is a guy who's going to get nine to 10 million dollars a year. zero question in my mind. I don't think Nashville needs another centerman on their team I mean, coming to they use the services of a imagineic Shane Absolutely. Ma Shane uh, you know has been very vocal about potentially playing in Nashville at some point in his career. and I think when he uh, the opportunity came up, for a potential to play here, and he actually ended up getting to getting traded to Ottawa instead, I'm sure he was a little sour about that. So uh, but he's making $6 million a year. I think he would be a little bit more affordable. Uh, would he be, some people are concerned that he would potentially be a locker room issue uh, that he may have caused trouble in Colorado and Ottawa. I don't really think that's the case. I don't think that's something to worry about. I just more worry uh, about the best fit, and I think Mark Stone would have the best fit, but I also think he'd be the most expensive piece to trade for.
2: Well, kind of speaking about the best fit and your concern over Fiala, if you're not going to give up Fiala, then are you willing to part with, say, a Tolvenin who is completely unproven in the NHL but has incredible upside as far as the skill that we've seen in the KHL? So it's kind of like, you know, a give and take in this situation. Is it worth giving up an elite prospect for the potential to get someone only as a rental right now?
4: I mean, I, I think so. Um, you look at what Nashville has in terms of their prospect pool, and it's, it's really, it's not a lot. Their prospect pool is not that deep. Um, I think their their prospect pool really really starts and ends with um, Alex Olvenen and for, you know, the rights to Dante Fabro. I mean, there's, there's certainly players in there that could be, could be a fairly decent players, like an, uh, Anthony Richard, um, and maybe a Frederick Award and Alexander Carrier. These guys could potentially be NHL players uh, down the road of, as they season and get a little bit better. But right now, the only ones that are potentially NHL ready, in my opinion, would be Ellie Tolvin and, 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 Dante Fabro. And I think these are two pieces that you you have to start taking offers on. You have to, if you want to increase, if you want to use the window of opportunity that you have right now, for a team that has a ton of talent that's under the age of thirty. The average age on the team is twenty-seven point one years old right now, and this is this is a, a Forsberg who's twenty-four, a Victor Arvidsson who's actually surprisingly older than Forsberg at twenty-five, and Johansson twenty-six. These guys are just getting into the primes of their career. You want to find a piece that can potentially make it multiple championships in multiple years. Nashville's one piece away from doing that, in my opinion. The goaltending stat, whether it's Renee or Saros, I think that's fine. The defensive set, all your defensemen defense in the top four are under 30 years old. You need one piece left, Tolvanen. Fabro whoever the prospect is it shouldn't in my opinion it shouldn't matter they should be put on the table and dealt if they can bring that piece up
3: well let's sidebar to the power play for a minute that's another hot button topic here in Nashville the Preds are currently 31st in the league on the power play and now we just got Brian Boyle and he'll help fix some of the things with the net front net front presence he has but is this whole power play thing? Is it is it a coaching thing, or is it a player thing, or what's your take on the situation right there?
4: Oh man, I have beat that dead horse so far into the ground. You know, it's so hard. To, it's so hard to really look at it and say, you know, what could be the potential issue with this? And I think a lot of it. Um, I think a lot of it now could just be kind of settling down, and just executing. You know, I mean, earlier in the season, we could look at it as, as being a strategic issue. Um, and we could look at it as a, being a deployment issue. Uh, I absolutely thought putting players out there like, like Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Hartman in front of the net, I didn't think that really benefited as much as some other people thought it would because these are guys that probably shouldn't be in front of the net. You need a player like Brian Boyle in front of the net. So with Brian Boyle's presence, I really think time uh, will be advantageous for the Predators in, in that sense, because they've got another they've got another 25-ish games until the end of the season, and that's 25-ish games where they have an opportunity to increase their abilities on the power play each and every night. And say, for example, you get two to three opportunities a night on the power play. That's two to three chances that you're going to get be able to get out there and get quality of work. Uh, especially with these new additions coming into the lineup, and be able to find the best solution possible. You need Brian Boyle out there in front of the net. There's zero question about that. It's going to give players like Victor Arvidsson and, to an extent, Ryan Hartman, the ability to free themselves up a little bit more offensively and be a little bit more dynamic on the power play where they're needed. At the same time, though, sometimes you just got to be simple about it. You can't really pass it as much as you think you can. You can't overthink your opportunities. You just have to execute. And I think over the past weekend, especially in Nashville's back-to-back series against St. Louis, I think they showcase that they have the ability to execute at that level. It's just going to take a little bit more time for these pieces to get comfortable in the system, more so with the Brian Boyle to get comfortable in the system before it really starts to um, really starts to pan out. I think, based on what I'm seeing. I think it's getting better, and I think well, of course it can't get any worse. So um, <laughs> hopefully, by the time April rolls around, Nashville can post more than a five to ten percent on their power play, and hopefully, they're posting more around fifteen to twenty percent is what I'd like to see.
1: Well, you're talking about being comfortable. Uh, you know, the Preds picked up Cody McLeod, and one of the things that I remember that they said they were excited for because they knew who he was, they was comfortable with him. But I was wondering what your take was with him, especially because, in last night's game, and when St. Louis came to town in Nashville, Cody McLeod commits a penalty, Mm -hmm. and according to Adam Vinigan on the Athletic, he tweeted that McLeod spent the remainder 37 minutes and 41 seconds on the bench.
4: Yeah, he just rode the bench after that. Um, It's funny. It's funny because um, you know I tweeted out after that penalty was done because I had watched a few replays of it and. uh, I tweeted out that um, that was one of those. If you're going to make a bad penalty like that, then I don't, I don't really understand uh, the purpose of being out there. Because you know, Brian Boyle had the check. Brian Boyle had the play covered, and and Cody McLeod came in. Uh, I thought he came up a little high with his uh, with with his arms. Uh, I didn't think there was. I, I didn't really see any additional contact on the play. Uh, which of course you know there was no additional contact called but I, I thought it was. It was a, a solid judgment by the official call roughing on it. Roughing, in and of itself, is a very judgmental penalty as is. But you know, immediately after I said that, I had a couple people uh, in some of the organization i are like, "You probably should go back and watch it again." It, it didn't really look like a penalty to us. I'm, i you know, I sit there and I can, I can kind of, um, you know, I can kind of agree. I can agree to both sides of it, to where the officials may have thought it was a penalty and where the team didn't think it was a penalty. But in the same regard, the official, I would say, it was more of a reputation-based call than anything else. And because when you look at a player like Cody McLeod, you know he's a fighter, you know he's going to come in, he's going to check hard, you got to watch for that kind of stuff. And I thought McLeod put himself in a poor position last night, and by doing so, that's where that penalty was called. It was called in a position that he shouldn't have been in, and regardless if there was enough intent there or not. It it, You know, he still ended up in the box. Low-hanging fruit? Maybe. But in the same regard, when you look at a player like Cody McLeod and what he could offer to the team, if it's the intangibles that the team are really excited about, well, that's great. But (laughs) I don't necessarily agree with the fact that you're bringing in a Cody McLeod and trying to essentially, you know, um, explain that it's a size versus size matchup thing where you're hoping for a little bit more of a physical element uh, than you would another night. I think, Rocco Grimaldi, I think Rocco Grimaldi would be just fine in that element. And I think against a team like St. Louis, we learned that they're not, I mean, yeah, they're physical. Every team in the league is physical. But this is a team that was that was extremely quick against Nashville this past weekend. Uh, that back-to-back, they were showcasing why they've been one of the best teams in the league since New Year's Eve. This is a team that pressed Nashville out of the offensive zone, they pressed them to the outside exterior portions of the play every time they could and forced the puck back into the neutral zone for, uh, for chances for them to break down in the forecheck. I mean, it happened like clockwork. you can see it happen. So what does Cody McLeod offer? uh, in, In my opinion, if he's the great locker room guy, that's fantastic. I just don't know, in my opinion, strategically when you need to place them in the lineup, at the expense of a player like Rocco
1: Zamaldi. Well, it's interesting you say that because um, after the game conversation, I don't know if you were meeting me that scrum or not, because I know you guys do the scrums with the players and coaches afterwards. Lavi was quoted as saying that, that there will be some games where he's called upon and some games where he's not, and he's had that conversation with him. So it seems like McLeod understands what his role is, basically to be that enforcer and knowing that sometimes he may just ride the bench.
4: No, he knows that, and and I, I think that w- that's the conversation he knew two seasons ago when he was playing uh, with the team that went to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, he knew there were going to be games he play. He knew there were going to be games he wasn't going to play. Um, I think two years ago against St. Louis, it was a much much more physical matchup than the St. Louis uh, of of this season. I think I don't think that last season, if McLeod would have been in the lineup, it would have proven much different against Winnipeg because I don't think the physical element was the reason the Preds lost that matchup. So I know there's going to be games where he's going to slot in as opposed to other ones, and I would expect it to be games more against the Western Conference opponents. I don't think you're going to see um, Cody McLeod in against either Detroit or Montreal this week, but I do have a feeling you'll see him Saturday against Vegas. And maybe next Tuesday against the which I believe is Dallas in Dallas. So, I mean, if you look at the schedule for the remainder of the season, you can sit here and you can look at every one of those games, and I bet you, with about 90% accuracy, you could circle the games that Cody McLeod will, will play for the rest of the year.
2: Yeah, and speaking of some of the problems that have been plaguing the Predators, let's talk a little bit about the depth scoring. You know the hot topic right now is obviously Victor Arvidsson on fire since January 1st. I mean, 15 goals since January one. so we can't talk enough about him. But what is sad is that there's a large list of players underneath him, like eight or nine combined, that still do not total what he is producing right now. And it's it's kind of sad how much Jofa is carrying this team because right now they have a combined 118 points, 55 goals, and 63 assists. So, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, and that's it's, you're right in that the uh, Johansson uh, Forsberg and Arvidsson line is the one that's really kind of um, really kind of leading the play for the team, and there's there's no question about that. And if you look at uh, some of the some of the numbers that surround this, this team, you can see that. I guess in terms of uh, more of their expected versus actual numbers, uh, they're they're going beyond the pace where they should be. I mean, absolutely, I think Victor Arvidsson, in my opinion, is, is a great example. He's on pace to have the best season of his career. I mean, he's already at the numbers where he should be. But this is a guy who, when he stops scoring, What's gonna happen? You know, I mean, Philip Forsberg—he's—he's he's magical. He's—he's a—he's he's, he's a unicorn for all I can—all uh, I can—all I, mean, I can say. And this guy can do anything. Uh, Victor Arvidsson has come up over the last couple seasons as as a guy that Nashville has to defend on. But I think one thing that a lot of people don't really consider is, you know, while Victor, while Forsberg is is magical and Arvidsson is is a guy who literally can produce something out of nothing. The one player that neither of those two can live without is Ryan Johansson. And I think that was clearly evident with his two-game suspension. You took Johansson out of the lineup and the whole team fell apart. So, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right that, that this team is relying way too heavily on the uh, Johansson line to carry them right now kicking and screaming into the postseason. And I think that it really kind of makes them look a little bit like Colorado, with a better all-around supporting cast. The problem is, is that supporting cast is more of, um, more, uh, more along the lines of. Not being, uh, I, I can't really get you get you the analogy I want to give you, but they're not performing to where they need to perform. You're absolutely right, and if Nashville wants to maintain their aggressiveness and their ability to compete, especially in the playoffs, that's got to be rectified over this last 20 plus games. The the second and third lines have to really start contributing. On a normal basis, I'm not talking about, hey, that's great. Kevin Fiala, Craig Smith, and Nick Benino combined for four goals over the last two nights. That's wonderful. Then it needs to be over like four goals, maybe like 10 goals over a week. It needs to be more more progressive. The numbers have to be there. If not, Joseph, the Jofa line is not going to be able to carry them past the first round, maybe a second.
2: Yeah, Fiala has two goals in the last 19 games. Smith has two goals in 15 games. Yarn three goals in 26 games. Hartman, zero goals in 26 games, which we also gave up a first-rounder for him. So let's point that out as well. Sissons, one in 13. Subban, two in the last 31. Ellis, two in 18 after signing that big contract. RV has 16 in the last 19.
4: I think one of the numbers that I've looked at lately, and I think this is where you can kind of look at to where um where he should be you know in terms of goals 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 forced Kevin Fiala said that he has eight goals in the season uh I, I believe I believe that's his number right now is eight goals nine and I'm sorry was that right uh, you guys may have that number in front of you it's uh, nine,
3: nine actually yeah nine. So,
4: uh, nine goals nine goals I'm sorry you're right and right now his expected number his individual expected number is right about nine Victor Arviston, on the other hand, okay, his individual expected goals force number is hovering right around nine goals for so far this season. The dude's got 18, so you can see where he's overperforming. This is a guy who who is scoring at double the pace he should be scoring, while a player like Kevin Fiala, he may look like he's underperforming, and to an extent, he really is, especially in terms of Uh, how a lot of fans perceive him. Uh, But in reality, I think he's right where he needs to be. It's just he's 22. I think he just needs a little bit more time, and I think people need to give him a little bit more credit for what he's done so far.
2: Yeah, I mean, and to piggyback off what you were saying earlier, when Joey was out, I mean, the team did fall apart. And let's talk about that pass, too, to Arvidson on the back post. It was uh, it's not, amazing, I mean, absolutely he, amazing. He's been he's been dishing that out all year. I mean, he's he's had some incredible passes. You think back to the lightning game where he has the no look pass to Yosi. I mean, Sports Center top play all day. So uh, I will have to admit that Joey has really stepped it up this year, and he's actually earning that contract. And uh, it, it's very nice to see. But uh, we we have to get more scoring depth, and that kind of goes back into the whole top six forward are we going to pull the trigger to pull in a guy to give us that depth but i honestly think and this is just my opinion that the second line is definitely the one on the trading block or on the hot seat rather uh in the next coming weeks but it's going to be interesting because terse has been out i mean he's been out half the season basically if you think about it
4: yeah and and you know i'm not really um part of me is not um super concerned about players like Craig Smith and Kevin Fiala, I'm more concerned about the Kyle Turris. If they were to go out and get a player like uh, like Matt Duchesne, a, a center where they would, they would technically solidify the fact of having four uh, solid centers and where they could put Kyle Turris on the third line and push Nick Bonino maybe down to the fourth line uh, to kind of really balance out all four lines. Um, I, I think that would be something that in my opinion, they would really potentially need to look at doing. I mean because you know I think Nick Benino's playing above his, above his means. I, I really think he is. He's having a, an exceptional season. Um I think I think Craig Smith is doing well. He's got 16 goals already this year. Uh Kyle Terrence, like you said has been hurt for a large portion of the year so far, but he can bring in a good a good centerman who could really kind of push a couple players down on the, uh, on the depth chart, I think he could help overall in terms of bolstering uh, that depth scoring.
1: Well, Chris, before we let you go, I just want you to know, I have your book tales from the Nashville Predators locker room. Tell us a little about it.
4: Well, you know, it was, um, it's a book that took me uh, about a year to really compose and get all the stories and, and uh, get everything pieced together. Uh, it has a lot of uh, stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. A lot of stories uh, that are that are one of a kind. It goes into telling a lot of the game op- uh, game operations staff, uh, what goes on behind the scenes there, what goes on behind the scenes, with Nash, uh, and what what Nash does night in and night out. Uh, there's uh, chapters about nicknames. that's one of my favorite chapters. Um, about how players get nicknames and how they continue uh, to to get nicknames during a season. Like a player could have five or six nicknames in a season, but none of the fans ever know anything about that. Uh, there's a great chapter. There's great chapters in there about Coach Barry Trotz, uh, former head coach of the Predators, now coach of the Islanders, and uh, some uh, players would talk about uh, talk about what he did for them and how he accelerated their careers. Um, David Poole got in on it. He told me some great stories about about how the uh, P.K. Suban and uh, Shea Weber trade came to fruition. Lots of, in my opinion, fantastic stories, one-of-a-kind stuff in there uh, that you're not going to find anywhere else. And where can we buy this at? Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. There's a link on my uh, on my Twitter profile at Kmart's underscore Sports on Twitter. Uh, if you can't find it on Amazon, if you go anywhere in the mid-state area, you can find it at Books A Million, you can find it at Fans, you can find it at Target. It, it, uh, it's been in a lot of places recently, so it, uh, it should be available for consumption at any one of those fine retailers. Sweet.
1: Well, once again, this is Chris Martell joining us here on Music City Gold. He is a social media for uh, Fox Sports Tennessee, and he's host of The Neutral Zone on 104.5 The Zone. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. You have a good night.
4: Thanks, guys. Y'all do the same.
1: Well, a couple of
3: other items we haven't mentioned yet, guys, is that, I don't know if you heard about this, Austin Matthews gets a contract extension in Toronto, five-year, $11.634 million per. That's pretty juicy, and a lot of it's signing bonuses, by the way,
2: as protection due to the collective bargaining agreement and... A potential lockout, so and very I, smart on his. And part. I don't
1: blame him for it. He
3: he's getting paid essentially. He is getting paid ninety three percent to be exact of that is as sinus. Uh, I'm sorry, signing s- bonus, signing bonus. Yeah. so he earns actually less than a million a year on salary, but I like the way it was structured because he gets paid even if we go to lockout. So oh,
2: for him it's great. Yeah, and there's there's no downside to that deal, and he is locked in at a high high rate of pay. So. It'll be interesting to see their cap struggles in the next couple of years because now they have a couple of players locked in that are going to be eating up that
1: salary cap. But I totally expect when they go and redo the CBA, I bet they're going to address that because what uh, Matthews did is great, but that takes a lot of like power out of the ownership's hands because they can't do anything knowing that all that money's going up front to them. Yeah.
3: But uh, we are glad to see him get a deal there in Serrano. We know he likes being there. And since 2016, he is third in the league in goals overall. So a guy that deserves to get paid. And also a couple trades happen in the league. Pittsburgh has traded Derek Broussard and Riley Sheahan for a second round pick and two fourth round picks to Florida for Nick Bustad and Jared McCann. And also Montreal lands Nate Thompson and a fifth round pick from the Kings for a fourth round pick. And also Montreal called up Dale Weiss back from the minors, who they got a couple days ago. And also of note is that Chicago has asked uh, Seabrook to waive his no-move clause, and he has declined, saying that he is happy and comfortable playing in Chicago. And also veteran defenseman as well, Nicholas Cronwall, tells Detroit. He is a pending uh, unrestricted free agent, but he tells them that he would like to stay in Detroit as well. So we will see in the future how that goes. But one thing we won't be seeing any more of is Antoine Vermette has called it quits and retires after 14 seasons in the NHL. And same thing for Joel Ward, hangs him up after 11 seasons in the NHL. And lastly on my docket is there is a couple milestones I want to make mention of. My favorite of the week, my favorite stat of the week. Only 4 players since 98 have 50 points in 45 games. Ovechkin, Malkin, Crosby, and Elias Petterson, baby. My yeah, boy. Yeah, he's been killing it. That's a mark that not even Matthews could cross or McDavid could cross. That's incredible. Petterson is on fire. So, I cannot wait to see where he goes from here. He you could make a case that he's up there with uh with McDavid as far as talent. So, I love him personally. I just got his jersey in the other day, so I'm gonna be, you're going to see me be sporting that here coming up. And also, um, Roberto Luongo has passed Patrick Waugh for second all-time in games played. Yeah, it's crazy. Trails only Marty Brodeur, so you might call him the second best all-time. Pretty epic.
2: Yeah, he, he's way up there as far as, like, he's an Iron Man as far as time logged in, I, I mean, how many more years does he got? Does he got another year in him? I don't know, but he just keeps going year after year, so we'll see. Energizer bunny man.
3: And lastly, who else keeps going is Jumbo Joe Thornton is still going, and he just recently tied Gordy Howe for ninth all-time in assists. Yes,
2: how crazy is that? That's crazy. So,
3: big nod to Jumbo Joe there.
2: Well, you're you're missing one milestone, Oh. Matt, that you just totally forgot to talk about. You have a very uh, fond – connection to russian players
3: yeah i briefly mentioned it the other day but go ahead and give us an update
2: yes so with his 1180th career nhl point alexander ovechkin has patched your boy who is it sergey fedorov to become the all-time leader for a russian-born player that is elite company I think the message we got in the group text was a bunch of tears. <laughs> I, I, I mean, but at this point, you just got to you gotta give him props,
3: right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like you said, best ever rushing probably.
2: And, well and the crazy thing is, Matt, he has four or five more years left yeah, in the yeah, tank. he's still and, going, and baby. And he's still scoring like 40 goals a year. Frank the tank. So where is it going to stop? Who knows? Like I said, and we've said it multiple times, he's going to continue setting records next year looking at the goals projection. If he does another 40-goal year. He's passing some elite people, and you're going to see it every so many games. He is going to pass the best of the best on the all-time goals chart. But will he ever pass Wayne Gretzky? No one's ever passing that, but he might get like third. But he's he's not gonna he's not gonna pass Wayne. It was just a different time back then, Kyle.
1: Well, no, Matt. Earlier you mentioned the Red Wings, and the Red Wings do come to town tomorrow night, and Daniel and I will actually be there. So, not counting tomorrow night's game. What do we have coming up, Daniel?
2: Well, I'm counting tomorrow night's game because we're going to be there, Kyle. But it is tomorrow night against the Detroit Red Wings. Our arch Little Caesars rival comes to town.
3: <laughs> Show some respect. Uh, well,
2: never.
0: <laughs>
3: hey,
2: I mean, knowing our current progression right now, we're probably going to lose the game. Uh, for some reason, we never really play the Red Wings well. Anyways. That's a sidebar. It's not a coincidence, baby. Well, it's the Red Wings and the Coyotes (laughs) Coyotes. who are two of the worst teams. So, (laughs) I'm just – hey, the Coyotes are looking up this year. Anyway, sidebar. But after this game, on the 14th, we will play the Montreal Canadiens at home. Then we will go on the road Saturday the 16th against the Vegas Golden Knights in the desert, followed by the Dallas Stars on the 19th. We will return home on the 21st to face the L.A. Kings, followed by – The Colorado Avalanche on the 23rd, and the Edmonton Oilers at home on the 25th. Hopefully by then, either the Monday or the 26th, we should be recording again. So I'll give you another update.
1: Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. I want to say thank you once again to Chris Martell for joining us for our Preds Talk. You guys have a great week. Take it away, Rachel. You've been
0: listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio, powered by the Ingram Agency. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C. Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Penalty Box Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.